fact, I've heard gluttony described as the suicide of self-control, a complete loss of it. Gluttony, for many of you, you know, is derived from a Latin word meaning to gulp down and is often used in reference to overconsumption of food or drink. But for our purposes this morning, I want to give it a little bit different of a definition. Here's our definition for the morning. Gluttony is a gulping down that reveals itself through cravings, demanding satisfaction at the expense of moderation, community, and faith. And in order to get after this subject, what I want us to do is turn to an Old Testament story. If you would, turn to Genesis chapter 25. And as you're turning to Genesis 25, I want to remind you of this. Every week we speak, we do it for one particular reason, and that is to further the dialogue and the discussion in small groups. So I'm going to give you small group questions throughout uh, this talk to just dial in, because New Community is about groups. We want you to live out and talk about and dialogue and wrestle with these topics and with everything we talk about in community. And so be focused as we move into Genesis chapter 25. Now, Genesis 25 is uh, this story about two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and their relationship. Um, It's two brothers who honestly don't like each other very well. And the uh, story goes a, a bit like this, Genesis 25. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Jacob, or sorry, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. And so Jacob replied, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold the birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now the the Hebrew rendering of this is quite fascinating. It's this interesting play on words. And what it's describing is this red stew, this red stuff. The, The Hebrew goes something along these lines. Give me some of that red stuff, that red stuff. What he's screaming for is, give me stew and give it to me now. He comes in from hunting, he comes in and he's going, I want it, I want the red stuff. That's essentially what it's communicating, right? I'm starved, I'm famished, and give it to me now. And what I want to do is highlight in this text three things that I think speak to this idea of gluttony. Okay, number one, gluttony is about more than food. Gluttony is about more than food. Notice in the text that Esau wants food and what Jacob wants is inheritance. The text goes like this, and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, the red stuff, for I am exhausted. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Now there's two things being discussed, two things that are desired, wanted, craving, The one is food, a bowl of stew, lentil stew at that. 
probably one of the best Pinterest recipes on the market at the time. Jacob was known probably for his stew, but he wanted, Esau wanted the red stuff. And he was willing to, to give up the thing that Jacob craved, the birthright. Those of you not familiar with birthright, it's a double portion of the inheritance. It's the opportunity to be the primary heir of the family. It's the, the person in control of the affairs, the person that kind of like determines the, the generational trajectory of the family. I mean, it's, it's significant. It's the, all the inheritance kind of rolled up into one. And they both wanted something that they desired so greatly. And what you also notice about it is they both wanted it immediately. Esau said, the red stuff, I'm about to die. I'm starved, famished, I'm exhausted, give it to me, right? And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Right now. Different form of pleasure, same immediate desire, I want it now. Now, traditionally, gluttony has been understood to focus on unrestrained consumption of food and drink. But we also know gluttony includes so many other pleasures. In fact, uh, Donato makes this statement, two mistakes accompany most discussions on gluttony. The first is that it only pertains to those with a less than shapely waistline. The second is that it always involves food. In reality, it can apply to toys, television, entertainment, sex, or relationship. It is about an excess of anything. Maybe right now in your life, the vice of gluttony is beginning to consume you, or you're consuming it, right? All of us have stew, lentil stew in our life, right? All of us have a form of of desire, of craving, of passion. And maybe for you, it is eating. It might be. You eat meals, you eat meals between the meals. You eat in your car, when you're bored, when you're restless, frustrated, stressed. When you're on the computer, when you're watching TV. Uh, You're eating constantly for no reason other than just simply to eat, to consume. And maybe... Your gluttony in some form is food. Food for comfort, food for some reason is the thing you're pursuing. But I would say that maybe, maybe you're starving your soul with a different form of consumption. Maybe for you, gluttony is about something completely different. That you are over-consuming and at the same time starving your soul. Let me give you some illustrations. Maybe... Maybe you have an unhealthy, overscheduled lifestyle. Your priorities are completely out of whack. You are a slave to your schedule. You go from thing to thing to thing. And then when the next opportunity shows itself, for fear of missing out or for fear of something, you go, yeah, yeah, I'll fit it in. I'll make it work. I'll, you're burning the candle at both ends. You're completely stressed out, but you are just shoving your schedule down your throat and you're consuming and you're eating and you're pursuing maybe your gluttony is some other comfort some behavior some experience something you're doing to soothe to deal with that issue kind of help 
try to fill in a hole. Maybe your gluttony right now is politics. You keep gulping down the news, just waiting for something to change. And then every time you look again, nothing's changed, and you're like, ah, you just keep, it's there, and you keep eating it. Maybe your stew is an overhealthy portion of Netflix. You're binge-watching Downton Abbey or Parenthood. Maybe you keep seeing this screen show up next episode playing in 15 seconds, and you think to yourself, eh, what could it hurt? I don't even have to get up. I don't have to push a button even. It'll just do it for me. I'll be right into my next show. No biggie. Maybe what you're doing is devouring Facebook or consuming Instagram. It's all stew of a different sort. It's all something that's providing comfort while hours of your life vanish, while we gorge ourselves like gluttons. See, moderation is great, but what we do is we have three big helpings of indulgence with some extras on the side. And we just keep consuming and consuming because gluttony is about more than food. Let me give you a small group conversation piece. Outside of food, if you were to examine your life, what ways are you gluttonous or how does gluttony show up in your life? It's not just the food thing. It's not about the food. Maybe it's some other area described. Maybe it's another area that you know In your heart at this moment, you would have to say that your life is being consumed in some way by this thing. Discuss that in group this week. Number two, gluttony has a communal or social component. Gluttony always has a communal or social component. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, the red stuff, for I am exhausted. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And so Jacob said, well, then swear to me now. Make your decision right now. If you think about it, Jacob and Esau are having this little back and forth. And it reveals at the very heart that gluttony is always a communal affair. And it always impacts more than just you. You realize these two brothers from this point in the story forward, for the rest of the story of their lives, were divided about everything. This ruined the trajectory of their family. This had implications on whether the cousins came over to visit. There weren't family reunions. None of that stuff happened simply because in the moment, in the temporal, the desire for the stew, the desire for the inheritance overruled any of the relationship. It began to destroy and have drastic consequences on community simply because the immediate passion, the craving. Because gluttony always impacts more than just us. I mean, think about your thing for a moment. Think about that area of your life. If it's Netflix binging, if it's digital media, often we just kind of slough it off and think to ourselves, no big deal. But we spend another night streaming or scrolling, and we often forsake relationship to do it. 
we sit at the table for dinner, and it's like, oh, let me check that one more thing. Let me check the email. Let me check the text. Let me check the score. Let me check something. We're constantly scrolling. We're replacing authentic relationships, person-to-person, face-to-face with virtual ones that we somehow think will satisfy. We keep feeding these cravings without moderation, and gluttony threatens. In doing that, it threatens community. It threatens responsibility. It threatens the way we act toward one another. Because gluttony really is eating without any concern for community. It's eating without consideration of the other. It's eating without remembering the hungry. It's eating without concern for the earth. This understanding of community, this way we want to orient our lives, should affect the way we look at our consumption. And I'm not just talking about food again. See, God has always been less concerned with the amount of food people eat and more concerned with the way people eat it. He's less concerned with the very action you do and more concerned with the motive or the intent behind the action. Will Willimon makes this statement, gluttony is not merely wolfing down large quantities of food. Gluttony is also a matter of being overly concerned about food, fixated on food rather than the amount of food. That person who carefully weighs the carbs in their diet, who relentlessly scans the fat content in their portions, who drives across town to buy exclusively organic, looks to me as much like the glutton as the beer-gutted binger at the neighborhood bar. Refinement can produce its own excess in the priggish food expert. What he's saying is that we act like gluttony is just the amount of something and not about the reason for something, right? We act like it's just the amount of something and not the reason for something. Some of us are like so concerned with the number of calories we're intaking, but fail to recognize that our entire plate is only bacon, right? That, that we like go to these extremes, you notice that? We like, we have weird eating habits if we're honest. Very weird ones. We invent things like Diet Coke so you can drink it by the gallon full and have zeros on every like nutritional, like the whole back. Like, I don't know why they put it there. Zero, 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 zero. Sure, everything. Nothing. It doesn't, whatever is in it doesn't even exist. Like, I, don't, I don't know what's in the can. But we just guzzle it down because we can go, oh, I can have this thing I want and I can have no consequences with it. Right? We, we invent things like gum so that you can like chew all day long and never swallow. We even make up stories to our kids. You swallow it, seven years it stays in there. Like, right? like, like your whole belly is going to be gum if you keep swallowing. Right? Like we make up stuff just so we can feel the satisfaction of chewing and chewing but not consume and have no consequences. We even create fake food substances that we inject in our food so that it gives it flavor or salt or sugar or whatever it is that you want it to taste, but it's not even like in there. And we do it just for the sake of being able to satisfy the glutton in us, the desire within us, without feeling negative about it. We consume constantly 
analyzing what we eat and at the same time completely ignoring what we eat. What I mean by that is this. We're consumed with what we consume, but then we consume more than we need. We consume more than our fair share, and we consume more than it takes to satisfy. Right? So we give little or no thought to the effects that our consumption has on the global as well as our neighbor. We take very little concern about the amount of food we yearly waste in our society. And yet, we could care less about the environmental toll with the amount of meat we consume. We're constantly ignoring all these things while folks focused and fixated on what it is we're consuming. But gluttony always hurts you, and it hurts others at the same time. I could keep going about this. I'm going to pause here because I want to give you a small group discussion question number two, two and three. Are you eating in a way that contributes to or maintains your overall health and well-being? So are you eating in a way that's concerned about how you will function in the world in a healthy way? But then, are you tying that to the next question, which is this. How you eat, what we eat, and why we eat should reflect what is appropriate given the needs of others in our family, our community, and our church. How are you giving thought to your consumption of food and its impact on our neighbors? Do you think about the way you eat, and do you think about its ramifications? Talk about that this week as a group. Which takes us to our third and final point, and is this. Gluttony is about something deeper. Gluttony is about something deeper. Frederick Bruckner makes this statement that I think really gets at it. He says, a glutton is one who raids the icebox or the fridge for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. He's raiding the icebox, but it's for something more than food. It's always about something deeper. The physical act of gluttony is about a far deeper and more spiritual component than we'd like to consider. Again, Jacob says, hey, give me your birthright. Esau is like, man, I'm going to die here in a moment. My birthright is worth nothing. Go ahead, take it. Jacob says, okay, well then sign right here in blood. Swear to me. So he swears and uh, gives him the birthright. And then Jacob exchanged or gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He traded away his inheritance, traded away his family legacy, his future security for a bowl of stew. And we notice he isn't even really famished, starved, dying, exhausted. Because as soon as he's done eating, he gulps it down, he gets up, and leaves. It was about the temporal. It was about the immediate that kind of overwhelmed his thinking in such a way that he said, I had to have it, and I had to have it now. It crowded out all other consideration. And I would say that there's something deep inside of us and inside of all of them (laughs) that longs for a big bowl of stew, that longs for something deeper, right? Something that's a part of our yearning, something inside us that wants to be satisfied, that wants to be filled. And so we eat out of boredom and frustration and stress and when we're depressed, and and, and we just keep doing it, but it's 
we, we get stuffed, but we're hungrier than ever. Do you notice that? You get to that place where you keep doing the thing you were doing, you keep pursuing it, and yet you're still not satisfied because gluttony promises stuff it can never deliver. You feel like you're being overtaken by something, that something's controlling you in some way, that owns you. You say things like, I, I have to have it. It's the person that's going through like midlife crisis and goes to some lot and he buys some shiny, fancy, whatever it is, and he brings it home. And he's like, yeah, that totally satisfies. It's amazing. And he gets up the next morning and he goes to the garage and he sees the toy and he looks at it and he's like, it's a bowl of stew. Honestly, it's like, why did I do that? What was I thinking? I just lost like $5,000 when I depreciated when I drove it off the lot. Like, the feeling like, what was I thinking, right? It's the girl that invites the guy over for a night and wakes up the next morning to realize, again, it's just a bowl of stew. Every guy is a bowl of stew, if you think about it, right? Just. But the craving is always about something. It's always about something deeper. There's a longing behind whatever it is you're longing for. There's a craving behind everything you're craving. There is a desire that's wanting to be fed, but there's that desire that's behind that desire. And it keeps lingering, right? It's the person that's killing themselves at work, is doing it day after day, burning relationships, leaving family stranded. Why? It isn't about that moment. It isn't about what's happening at the work at that time. It's always about something more. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's chasing approval. Maybe it's trying to live up to others' expectations. Maybe you didn't hear something when you were younger in terms of approval, and you're like, man, I gotta, ch- I gotta figure out how someday at some point my mom, my dad, somebody will be proud of me because I've done X, Y, and Z. It's not about that craving in that moment. It's always about something much deeper. That person that has sex again and again, it is not about just the experience, just the moment, right? It's about pursuing something more. Intimacy, it's pursuing relationship, it's trying to kill loneliness. It's, it's in some way not about the moment or the thing, but it's about the deeper thing that drives us to profound anxieties. It drives us to needing and wanting approval. And we keep wondering to ourselves, why can't I get over whatever your stew is? Why can't I get over the guy? Why can't I get over the relationship? Why can't I get over the money? Whatever, the ego, the the approval, the the need for attention and effect. Why can't I get over that? Because it's not about the thing. It's always about the thing behind the thing, right? There's something always far deeper. And so the question is, what do we do about it? And I think it's found in this last little phrase. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. He rejected it. Here's why. He failed to recognize what he already had. He failed to recognize what he already had. See, gluttony is this search for pleasure. It's this consuming. But it's a failure to remember that you already have a birthright. First John 3 describes it like this. These are so powerful, these words. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we 
should be called children of God, and so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. The idea is simply this, that if you recognize gluttony in your life at some point, it is a faith issue. It's not a thing issue. It's not a pleasure issue alone. It is about God. It's you longing to find satisfaction, you wanting approval. It's you wanting something that you think you can find in someone other than Christ. And at any point, we start to think that that thing that can satisfy us can satisfy us alone, then you've begun to find the root of gluttony. You've begun to realize that you have a distrust in the sufficiency of God and what it is He provides. To go further, I would even say this. It's failure to recognize that you already are a child of God. It's failure to recognize that you've already been invited to the banquet. Failure to recognize that you already have the inheritance. Right? It's failure to recognize that, that you are the heir to God. That all that you could see or imagine is already yours in Christ, right? It's us, for some reason, chasing after something that we think in the temporal will satisfy and yet leaving behind or despising the entire birthright, the entire inheritance at the exact same time. I'll leave you with this illustration. I was, this was several years ago. I had the privilege of being at an event uh, that my father was being recognized at. So my uh, dad, you know, played athletics throughout college, went to a Christian college uh, in California. After he graduated from there, uh, he moved to the East Coast where I grew up. And uh, he spent the next uh, like 45 years of his life working at the same Christian college, uh, similar to like um, a Whitworth College. It was more uh, just Bible-oriented, but a Christian college that was focused on uh, trying to prepare people for ministry. And uh, in his time there, he coached athletics. He loved it. He's a coach at heart. That's, uh, that's who he is, and that's what he does. And we went to this event, and it was uh, in his induction into the Christian College Hall of Fame for both his athletic career as well as his coaching career. And we're at this event, and uh, it was the oddest experience. You're, you're sitting kind of like at one of those head tables, and uh, they go through the program, and then my dad gets up, and he gives a speech, and then he gets back down, and they hand him a plaque, and he's like, he's never going to hang the plaque up, but thanks. And he gets the plaque, and he probably puts it in a shoebox somewhere, and, um, and he sits down at the table. And then afterwards, the, the program's done, and then people from all over are walking up and just greeting and saying congrats or whatever. But here's the weird thing. They kept coming up to me, and they would shake my hand, and they'd go, congrats. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? It makes no sense. And they would be like, no, no, way to go. That's, I'm, I'm so proud. You must be so excited. And I'm like, I didn't win anything. Like, just wait, right? Like, right here. Go talk to him, right? But here was the weird thing, and this is true. It happens all the time. That when your father, or when your mother, or when somebody that you're connected to is the one of honor in a moment, right? 
it, there's this crazy weird trickle down where people are congratulating me for doing nothing. Why? Because I'm connected. I'm, I'm a part of. I'm from. I'm the heir to my father, my mother, right? That is you on a far, far greater scale. That you are the sons and daughters of the king. And all that you see is yours. Don't go for the bull's stew. You're much better than that. Live into your birthright. Live into your inheritance. And trust that Christ provides all that you need for life and godliness. Let's pray.